0: Hello! Welcome to TV with Friends. My name is Chelsea, and joining me on the phone from Los Angeles is my co-host and my best friend in the entire world, Evan. Hi. Hi, what's going on? Not a lot. Um, Just gonna mention to our listeners and to you, I'm sorry if I start coughing. I've been a little sick, and that's why my voice sounds like shit, but it's okay, we're gonna get through it. Um, On this episode... (laughs) It's not. It's not that. No, it's a it's a flu. But on this episode, we are going to talk about the complete series, The Outsider, now that it is wrapped uh, last week. So if you have not seen The Outsider yet and you're not all caught up, don't listen to this yet because we are going to put a massive amount of spoilers out there. Um, and before we get into that, I kind of just wanted us to kind of talk about what's been going on with TV in the last couple months since we've podcasted. And there's some really exciting stuff uh, going on if you have a Hulu account, because one of the best networks uh, for television has decided to join up with Hulu, and that is FX. We love them. A lot of our favorite shows uh, come from this network. So now every single thing that has ever aired on FX as a TV series is now available library in Hulu. And a lot of new shows and returning seasons of their shows are going on to Hulu. So you don't even really need cable or anything like that, because the very next day after they air, they're right on Hulu, which is very, very exciting. So, um, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, well, I mean, I would say to normal people who, wake up the next morning because they go to bed early, that's when it'll be there for you. But for me, it's midnight. For us, it's midnight. So let's talk about, like, some of the shows on here. Obviously, American Horror Story is a great one. Fargo, all of Fargo is available. And then even going way, way back into um, the FX Library from, like, the early 2000s, we have shows like The Riches, Nip Tuck, one of Ryan Murphy's first shows. There's some really, really good stuff in here that I really think deserves a rewatch or deserves for you to watch the first time. Um, some of the shows and stuff I have, like going back and watching Nip Tuck, I was like, mm, is this gonna still work, you know, like in this climate that we're in <laughs> now? Like this, I think it came out in what, like 2005? 2005? or early 2000s. So it is,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: it has been a long time, but it's still, still very good. And then there's also some really exciting, like new shows coming out, um, which I know you haven't watched yet, and I will not spoil for anybody. A new show called Devs, um, which is done by the creator of Ex Machina. It is uh, a very visually, a hypnotic and stunning show, some really, really great actors in it. And even though you know I'm not a huge fan of AI and things like that, I don't watch uh Black Mirror or anything like that. I just, you know, but I think there's something like just some really, really interesting like cinematic stuff, some really interest interesting acting. And I'm just really glad that there is this platform available for all of these shows to come out that don't have to compete with other shows. And since everybody has Hulu now, like pretty much everybody has a Netflix account, it's going to be really interesting and exciting for these shows to uh, be available again. So any recommendations that you want to throw out? Um, one of the
1: ones that I do remember from the early days the of the The Shield with Michael yes. Douglas, that was like a super intense uh, cop series. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I am a fan of the American Horror
0: Story not the oh. most recent seasons. Not all made. of them, we don't like all of them. Yeah. <laughs> not all of them, no. They're hit and miss, but luckily they're, for the most part, self-contained. Yes. Um, nowadays, you know, starting from, I don't know if it was Roanoke
1: or the season prior to that, or even for that matter previous, mm-hmm. he has started connecting the seasons in mm-hmm. small ways, shapes and forms. Coven, I think, uh, not Coven, I'm sorry, I mean, that's one of the best seasons. Yeah. So, um, Apocalypse was mm-hmm. a huge connector to the show. Mm-hmm. Still one of the seasons that is not great. Um, but, you know, the first... The first four, actually no, five or six seasons are pretty damn good. They're watchable. They're a lot more watchable than the the more recent seasons. We've watched them because we just keep up with it. Yeah. Um, Actually, to be honest, we haven't even finished. uh, And when I say we, I mean my husband and I um, have not even
0: finished the last season. We were, just, we were just like, all right. Have not whatever. seen it. I've I, <laughs> I do not think I've seen more than like thirty minutes of the last three seasons. Um it was Yeah. It was so just like they were trying way too hard
1: and it was a, it was a subject matter that could have been really, really fucking cool. Um, kind of like taking on the slashers of slasher movies in the eighties. Um but did not pull it off. That's great. They managed to get a fantastic cast for the most part. Um but not the stellar season. But still worth watching,
0: especially with things getting delayed left and right on production. Mm-hmm. Um, due to the whole the whole coronavirus thing going on right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean Disney's shut down, Netflix shut down, Paramount shut down, Universal's shut down, everybody is starting to kind
1: of close their doors and productions particularly productions that are taking, taking place uh, overseas yeah so we're going to get a big delay in like a lot of our disney plus shows and netflix shows and stuff like
0: that mm-hmm. so it's plenty of time to, to do the rewatch it's a great like, time know, yeah the art of the re-watch. master of the art of the rewatch if there's a show that people have been telling you about that you're like eh, i don't know um just get in there and start watching it because we might not you know every other month when you're expecting something to come out on you know Sunday on HBO or Netflix is gonna drop another month of shows, maybe not you know maybe there's gonna be a delay on there so this is an excellent opportunity for whatever streaming network you use to rewatch. I'm looking over some now that are just that are just really really great shows um, what we do in the Shadows, which is adapted from the brilliant I that. I yeah. Yeah, that is adapted from the brilliant satire comedy by Taika Waititi, Legion. We love Legion. Getting a lot of Legion vibes in, in devs, actually. Um, let's see, Atlanta, The League. Oh, Damages. Oh, see, here's some stuff we used to watch Damages. <laughs> damages. Yes. See, there's some ish incredible and
1: it introduced us to rose bird i believe that was the first time she kind of came onto the scene yeah on american television
0: mm-hmm. and now she's like blown up into this like great comedic actress as well but that
1: show biggest recommendation anyone that's listening has not watched damages watch
0: fucking damages. it is so good. Is really good it is i think it's like I I think we, like, when you think about, like, the practice and law and order, you know, there's a lot of, like, network TV law dramas, but since it's on FX, you know, they're killing people, there's sex scenes, they're kind of swearing, there's violence, It's there's always a twist, uh, everybody is out to get each other, it's really, really exciting. And then, you know, I'm going to say the last two shows that I really course, and I've said this before that I think everybody should watch um, Fosse Verdon. Obviously, that was my number one show from 2019. Um, but also that. one that I'm not sure if I've talked about too much is Better Things. And that is created by Pamela Adlon, uh, was formally created by Louis C.K., but since all that shit dropped out. She has gone on to take the show into its fourth season on her own, writing and directing. It's a satire of her life uh, as an actress and a voice actress living in Los Angeles um, in her 40s. She has three daughters who are all very unique and amazing. And it is just a very heartfelt love letter about moms, daughters, women coming together, being there for each other, you know, she's a great, great example for women. And it is, it is funny. It is sad. It will, it will just give you all the feels. I got my mom and my sister hooked on it and their new season is airing now. And also maybe let's catch up on Fargo because I'm pretty sure they've already finished their new season and that is yeah, not going oh, yeah. to be delayed. So, which looks amazing. It's starting, it's starring Chris Rock and it's taking place, I believe, in the 50s. And if you, oh, the trailer just looks so good. And Fargo, I mean, again, an anthology series, much like American Horror Story. He Noel Howley did actually combine the two seasons with uh two and three. Or one and sorry, one and two, and then season three. Um, which is season three is probably the the most different out of all of them. And I think maybe critically like the stepchild of them, but I think all three are really, really good. Um, Season two is the best, but yeah, there, there's just some amazing content going on. And I'm just so glad that we just got this massive content dump of all of our favorite shows. I mean, I haven't been happier since like, the Mandalorian came out, and all all of our HBO shows yeah. came out, and it was just when we were Blue, getting these new streaming uh, networks. Who has uh, all of Bravo too, right? Like all of their <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, reality shows, yes. Most of them, and yeah. Yes, the Vanderpump Rules. It has yeah, Vanderpump Rules. House of Hills. Yes, it has and all Blue, of the Housewives franchises. Or Below, deck. Below deck. It doesn't have Below Deck. What? I know it only has so, the real housewives franchises and Vanderpump rules and top chef, but still, also Bravo is owned by NBC. Um, so when the peacock comes out this summer, I can't remember when NBC's announcing and stuff, but like, that's like where the office and friends and all of those shows, like where they're going. Um, so we will see what happens when, cause they're one of the last streaming networks to launch. Um, so we'll, we'll see about that this, this summer with what happens, but yeah. yeah, any other shows from any other networks that you would like to recommend people take up while they have all of this time alone in their home? Starting tomorrow,
1: starting tomorrow, mm-hmm. we do get one
0: more big one from HBO. Yes. It's supposed to be very good. I read, only one advance review, and they gave it an 8 out of 10. Nice. It's very different, but it's very, very good. Is season 3 of Westworld. Westworld! Yay! Oh, that, I have very high hopes for it, and you know I don't like this show that much. Um, but, I mean, I it didn't stop really me from watching it, watching it. but, yes. i supposed to be really good. I'm so excited. I'm really excited for Aaron Paul, Lena Waithe, more... Tessa Thompson um they're out of the park and that's all I care about we're going to get to see the world that created the park and the people who created it. Jeffrey Wright, I mean, it's so good. I'm I'm really yeah. so excited. And you know what? It's been it's been 2 years. I think we waited longer for this than we did Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, but I don't I mean, Game of Thrones
1: was the final season and we waited year and a half so it felt more like a gut punch than like us really not westworld wasn't even
0: really on our radar yeah like, and we weren't really, really sure what, they, what they were doing that's true mm-hmm. yeah all right well i hear my dog's fighting so this is a great opportunity to take a break and when we come back we will talk about the outsider all right we will be right back bye Welcome back. We are going to talk about The Outsider, and I'm going to give us a little bit of information, and then we will dive right in. So The Outsider, based on the book of the same name by Stephen King, it was developed by Richard Price. It is starring Ben Mendelsohn, Bill Camp, Jeremy Bob, Julianne Nicholson, Mayor Winningham, Patty. Patty. Yeah, Patty Constantine, Yule Vasquez, Jason Bateman, Mark Menchaca, and Cynthia Arrivo. Our favorite. And it premiered January 12th and it just wrapped March 8th last week on our favorite channel, HBO. Mm -hmm. This was amazing. I think when did we see the trailer for it? Like November? (laughs) We had been been waiting. For a really long it time. It premiered with, um, I, I almost want to leave,
1: uh, I think it premiered on the final episode of Game of Thrones,
0: because they were hyping up their new stuff that was, that was coming up. Ooh. Oh, okay, dog's barking. Don't listen to that. Um, no, the, yeah, you know, when when HBO... Yeah, they were hyping it for a while, giving us a little, little teasers and stuff. And this was just something that you and I both, once we watched it, were like, I don't know what this is, but this is going to be really good. A spooky, true crime detective story, which I mean, we thought it was at first and we fucking freaked out and got really, really obsessed when the first two episodes came out. So let's go back to that time a few months ago how many times do you think we watched the first two episodes? Should I, should I try to calculate that collectively? Or like Okay, how many for you? I would say for me about five or six. I think I watched both episodes about ten times each. Yeah. Because I would literally
1: just turn them on. Oh. Uh-huh. And so it was after, after watching them, you know, full length, probably two or three times, like glued to the TV, but I would just... Literally turn them on while I was doing stuff around the house, and I would just let them play over and over and over again. Sit down, watch a little bit more, keep doing stuff, sit down, watch a little more, yada yada yada, so on and so forth. So I think collectively, I probably watched each episode about 10
0: times. Those two episodes, I think, are almost bookmarked separately from the rest. I think. I think those are probably two of the best episodes. And They were also the only two that Jason Bateman was in. So we were still following Marty. I just called him. Sorry. That's his name in Ozark. Terry. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Marty Burt. No, just kidding. His name is Terry in the show. They're very similar. Um, And yeah, when those first came out, I mean, it was, first of all, it is stunning when he is shot to death in the second episode And we were, yeah, we were just going nuts over this. So Jason, let's talk about his character. Jason Bateman's character, Terry Maitland, is a softball coach. He's a dad and a husband. Seems like a really cool guy. He's grown up in this town um, that they live in his whole life. Everybody knows him. And now all of a sudden he is convicted of a brutal child murder of Frankie Peterson. That and when you say brutal, you're not using that word lightly. I am not using that word lightly. <laughs> brutal. It is very scary. The descriptions of it, the blood, the crime scene. I think we haven't seen twisted shit like that since True Detective, as far yeah. as it like a, a really gruesome crime scene. Um mm-hmm. and it was and really the, he kind of kick starts the whole basis of, of how could this be possible? You know, how could a man like this be, you know, be able to be convicted of such a horrible murder? And, you know, in other shows and other detective tropes, it's kind of like, oh, well, he had a whole separate life and nobody just knew how evil he was. But this is not the case. So Evan, explain basically how Terry can be in two places at once. And within the first two episodes, kind of what Terry's going through.
1: So Terry's essentially forced into this position because there's so much evidence at this crime scene of the murder of this child that literally just directly links him to the murder. There's there's witnesses, eye witnesses that see him covered in blood. Yes. Um, You know, they're interviewing all these people. They're building up their evidence. So it comes down to episode one. They find, they take Terry in, and they're laying it out. And towards the end of episode two, episode one, they start dealing with the fact that Terry was actually 70 miles away at the teacher's conference on banned books. Uh, It's different in the book than it is in the show, but anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's video footage of him there. There's island is footage of him there. And so, there's this instant, like, a person can't exist in two realities at one time in two different places. Right. Um, which, of course, no one believes him. No one is, like, the Ralph, um, the main detective that we follow, uh, the DA in the town, like, they they all consider this they've got it in the bag. Mm-hmm. They're good. Mm-hmm. Um, And then we we start getting glimpses of the cops going through the Maitland house. And I believe that's the first time that you see a figure that doesn't quite have a face. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has a bit of a face there in the moment. Uh, But it shows up uh, a few other times. One of the other
0: times it shows up is when Carrie's murdered. It shows up again prior to that. When the father of um, the child that was murdered kills himself. yes, um, And subsequently, like, and hopefully no one's listening to this again, because
1: these are all, like, massive, massive spoilers. It's just, mm-hmm. like, laying it all out on the table. Oh, yeah. Um, when Terry, the shot, is there.
0: And so we're playing it And mm-hmm. when you and I were first talking about these two episodes, I was so incredibly convinced Okay. Yeah. No, you say, you say your theory and okay, well I will say my theory because it was a lot more like you were more onto something, even though neither of us were right. But my theory was Mothman, which is a figure that shows up um, at times when there is a tragedy that is involving like hundreds to thousands of people. um, When when anything kind of goes wrong, historically, there are sightings of this figure as almost as if it's predicting it and mm-hmm. kind of we're like still, warning. Um, yeah, it's a foreboding yeah. figure for sure. And so that's kind of what I was thinking. And then we were going to merge both of our theories. What was your theory? Which I still think is great. was vampire? Like, I thought that this would have been a very cool, different bit
1: of a take on a vampire story instead of, like, being all glittery and glamoury and true-bloody and, true bloody and yeah. twilighty, like, very much more in like, a real real-world setting that it, it felt like it would almost make sense. I mean, I was screaming at you over the phone after the first episode, like, just the opening of the episode, like, the way that the train tracks make them V's and the streets made of V. I I was just like, vampires! Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling it now send it like mm. you no know,
0: vampire. Um, but like you said, neither of us turned out to be right. Well, we were trying to find a way for Terry to be in two places at once. And what we were kind of touching on, which turned out to be pretty true, is that the camera footage of Terry and where he's at the train station, he's standing as if that is not him. His his stance, his his body language is not the Terry that we know. It almost looks like someone is wearing his skin as a suit. So yes. we were thinking that the way that vampires can kind of, you know, um, glamour people or yeah. Yeah. hypnotize them I into doing their bidding. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where we were going with that. And also just, I mean, yeah, I kind of still, I think it might've been better if it was vampire, but anyways, it is not, it does not go into vampire. So after Terry is killed in the second episode, this leaves Ralph and um, a lot of our main characters kind of looking for answers because they are stumped about how there are eyewitnesses and yet camera footage the whole putting somebody in two places at once is, it's very, very confusing for everybody involved. So that is when yeah. we get our one of our favorite characters, Holly. So let's talk about Holly a little bit. Um, what were your first impressions of Holly? She was a fucking weirdo. Yeah. I, uh, I, I loved, loved
1: her character, but she was very out there. Very mm-hmm. just like... it was a a very obvious personality that I've never come across uh, in real life. Um, She was not calculating. She was very, like, by, like, what she sees and what she knows. Like, that's that's that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the reasons that it led them to Holly in the first place. Because uh, it was uh, Pelly that was like, well, you know, she would be the best one to, to take a look at a situation like this. Because she's, she examines everything so closely and every, every uh, I is dotted and T is crossed Yeah, when it comes to her and her investigation style. right? And so she just become, became this um, insane character
0: mm-hmm. that I was just like, okay, cool, let's see where this crazy woman takes us. Yeah, and... To some really cool places. yeah and really I think Holly is exactly the type of person that you would need in this scenario because it's not as though these people in this town like it's not as though they're small minded or like you know can't think outside the box or anything because we have we have plenty of characters like um like Eunice and uh Jeannie Ralph's wife who are listening to her. There are a few characters mixed in there who go, this girl is onto something. And when we see how prepared she is, almost as if she has OCD in the the way that she likes to work, she drives herself everywhere because she's afraid to fly. She has a lot of neuroses and tendencies that you figure this is just a one of a kind person. And as somebody yeah. who's thinking big, that's somebody who, exactly who you would need for something that at this point is completely unexplainable to them, and yeah. I think our and that's going to lead us into Ralph, and we kind of go back and forth with Ralph and Holly. Ralph is yeah. an amazing character because he is played by the Our Lord and Savior Ben Mendelsohn, um, but. Just do any, we'll watch him do anything, anything at all. Um, he's an amazing, amazing actor. And let's, oh, also, sidebar, we read the book, or you read the book, got pretty far, and then we got real busy at work and you had to stop. I listen I didn't read it. It doesn't count, but I listened to it on Audible. And Ralph's character in the book is kind of like a heightened version of Ralph in the show, Where he is a no-nonsense, give me the details, I cannot open my eyes, I cannot, you know, fathom that this could happen, there has to be a logical, legal, factual explanation for what happened. And one of the biggest differences in the book and the series is in the book, Ralph's son, Derek, is alive. He hasn't suffered yeah. the loss of his son that's rocked his world and rocked his marriage. Um, he's just away at camp. And I think that that is probably my favorite book-to-series adaptation note that they've done. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, because the book, the, the book character,
1: Ralph, was, it was very hard to like him. It was yeah. very, very hard to get on board with him and his thinking and in the show with the passing of his son and him having gone through this traumatic experience led led to him to him finally coming around particularly when holly was introduced um finding out she's gone through trauma like this whole series was really an examination of the way people different types of people deal with different types of trauma Mm -hmm. so the examination of that was made the character of Ralph so much more relatable. Yeah, in the series as opposed to the true blue by the book detective that you were talking about that's in the that's in the in the book. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that was that was, uh, that was honestly my my favorite of uh, affiliations from the book to the series.
0: Yeah, and it. It lends something to Ralph because, I mean, let's not give him that much credit. Ralph in the show, it takes him until the penultimate episode to actually get on board with this boogeyman, El Cuco, that that Holly has figured out is that this is like what the entity is behind, you know, the murders and stuff. It takes him a really long time. But one of the most interesting things I think about Ralph in the show is the very fact that he has gone through something that is the worst thing you could ever imagine would be losing your child. And we've talked about that and how much that forms characters and TV and movies um, and how that kind of grief, you know, really either hardens them or they just lose it. Um, And in Ralph's case, he, he didn't really lose it. We get flashbacks that allude to him of having a, a past of drinking and fighting in bars. Understandable. Of course, I get it, you know, um, but he's still with his wife, Um, even though they have, they've had a a hard time getting through it. He's still with his wife. They seem to still really love each other and want to move forward. And he's still a good guy at his job. And he is respected and loved amongst the other detectives and policemen who work with him. Um, And I think that's why he grappled so much with the idea of believing in El Cuco is that he can't lose his entire perspective again, that to accept that reality that there's something out there, he might lose it all over again and never be able to get it back. And he has to play those things very like, you know, play his cards close to the best because he's already been through one thing. He, he doesn't know if he can survive another blow up your life moment, you know, or another realization or self actualization moment. He's just, not sure if he's strong enough for it. And like that's, that's kind of what I liked
1: about his character too. In terms of when we get to post the second episode, when we get to episode three, and he's in glory, and he's he's still investigating, and he's not even he's not even technically on the job. Like he's yeah. just, he's investigating because he has to know. But he's like after episode two, and between two and seven, um, is looking for another person. Mm-hmm. He's looking for someone else to pin this on. He's not looking for some weird, uh, malevolent entity that changes from uh culture to culture and they have different names for it and you no, know, he's not looking tonight. He's looking for a living, breathing person to uh attach to this crime because it was such a gruesome nasty crime mm-hmm. which it subsequently ended up taking out an entire family's worth of
0: people. Yeah, um, Like, that was one thing that we didn't touch. Yeah, that, that it, it took out the whole you know, family. It like did. And that's and what, that was one of, yeah, in the first two episodes, Frankie, the youngest boy, is killed by, you know, supposedly Terry's character. Then the mom's reaction to it sends her into, like, a, either a mental, like, a some sort of cardiac arrest and we see yeah we see yeah uh Frank senior and their other son um in the in the hospital waiting room receiving that news then the which is kind of one of i think the coolest most like the coolest scenes in the first few episodes is what you were talking about that setup of um we see the figure in the hood outside their house we see a woman jogging down the house and they start to pan um out And the whole time, if anybody wants to go back and watch it, the whole time you can see that the thing in the hood, like as they're panning out and it's there just standing outside their house. And then you see Frank Sr. who's hung himself and his legs crashing through the window after he jumps off the chair. So and then right after that, uh, Frankie's older brother, when Terry is being taken into the courthouse, shoots him. And at which point Ralph shoots the kid back because he, he didn't know he was a masked shooter. So he didn't know there was a teenage boy under there. It it is. Yeah. It took out an entire family in just a few days. It is really, really it's, it's insane. And that's kind of where as Holly and everybody develops what this thing is more, they start to call it the grief eater. And it's just a, a, you know, because he really is feeding off of, you know, people's fear, people's worry, people's grief, people's loss and sadness. And that is, even though we can't see this thing's face at that time, that is really kind of terrifying that that's what it wants. It, that yeah, lends... That, that, that's what it lends on, like. Yeah, that lends a lot to, you know, just ugh, how creepy this thing is. And then we get a little bit further with Holly kind of traveling around, going back to the places, um, where Terry and his family had spent their time. We see some other people who have gone through the same thing. Um, and they are, you know, either, either you get a scratch and El Cuco becomes you, or you get the neck burn and you become El Cuco's like servant to do its bidding, which is, and that's, Oh yeah, let's talk about Jack for a minute. What did you think of Jack? He was, he was a fucked up character. He, yeah, uh, I just I love I love our first introduction to him, and you know, dude touched
1: on the fact that they kind of uh, alluded to Ralph having an issue with drinking and fighting in bars. And then the first introduction we get to Jack is him hunting, mm-hmm. um, getting called back in, but then stopping at the local. Uh, First, yeah. And having a beer and he's obnoxious. A beer yeah. And fucking giving the dude a huge wedgie, like the biggest bully in high school. Yeah. And the guy's like, "Oh, call the police on that motherfucker!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Ha ha ha!" He bangs him out. Yeah, he was an, an obnoxious, an obnoxious character. Yeah. But it was a character that also made sense mm-hmm.
0: when he plays with him down the line. He was an easily manipulated person. Yes, a weak person, yeah, with weak morals, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I liked his character. I kind of liked his character, too. He kind of, I guess he kind of grew on us because we felt bad for everything that he was going through. And, you know, the scene with his mom or like, I don't know, the ghost or whatever that was of his mom showing up and just, you know, being tormented as like by his family through El Cuco and being just, you know, phys- I mean, that that scene when he's being beaten up and then they kind of pan through his apartment and there's blood and you can see he's being dragged as there's like handprints against the wall and he just wakes up and he's just all beaten to shit and he looks like shit. And then he tries to put makeup on it, which makes him look even more like gruesome and ghoulish. And, and then he tries to kill Holly. I mean, you know, but we, we still feel like really bad for him because he is not himself. You know, and the more we learn about El Cuco, the more, you know, frightening it becomes for Jack because he can hear him. And I think that first scene in I think I think it was the third to last episode where we see Jack in the cave and he's actually listening to El Cuco eating the deer and just like it like gnashing and like clawing at it and growling and panting and stuff it is terrifying so to think that he's been living with that voice inside him is just so so fucked up <laughs> excuse it's really me I mean, hey. and up to the up to the point of him trying to kill Holly all we had really been seeing was him going through all this crazy shit yes like being mentally manipulated
1: by El Pujo and what uh, so, yeah, we had, to, there was really no other way for us to feel for him. Yeah. Like, we knew he was helping him, we knew he was doing stuff for him, but we also knew he was being controlled by him at the same time, so it was like, okay, yeah, the guy's a shitty guy, but at the same time,
0: not, because he's not doing his right mind or anything. He's right a victim. For that yeah. Way, for that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And before we get into what becomes of Jack and the rest of our characters, um, we're going to take a little break and then we will come back, kind of go through the last two episodes and our thoughts about the ending. So we will be right back. Welcome back. All right. So we are going to talk about the last two episodes. And basically how this limited series, look? picture me making air quotes, limited series wrapped up. All right. So what were kind of your favorite um, moments from the last two episodes? What were you really dying to see? What do you think we should have seen more of? How were you feeling about the last, the penultimate and the finale? Um, I
1: really loved it. The way that, like, everybody finally kind of came together, not even necessarily if they were believing what Holly was saying, but they were all, they put all of themselves behind her theory. Yeah. And they were going to get Claude. And they got Claude uh, taken in by the local PD from uh, wherever he was visiting his brother. mm mm-hmm. uh, And even, like... Pelly was resistant and didn't go at him and, uh, Howie didn't go at first. I mm-hmm. By the end of the penultimate episode, the two of them were there with everybody as well. Um, there was, I don't think there was anything else that we really needed to see more of. Mm-hmm. Personally, like, I loved the penultimate episode when it dealt with the family, the grandparents, the grandkids going to that festival, the cave festival. Yes. And, like, the idea of um, El Cuco finally gaining enough of Claude's
0: face to go out in public and try to do this again. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. I thought that was super
1: suspenseful, those, mm-hmm. those scenes in particular, because you had an idea of what was going to happen. You had a very strong idea of what was going to happen. A, you saw parts of that in the, in the trailers. B, um, you know they're focusing on the grandparents and the grandkids, and they're particularly focusing on the young boy, uh, the grandson, and you had a general idea of, like, going into that episode, okay, so when is this going to happen? Because at this point, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But I loved, towards the end, um, when the cops show up to take Claude, they show Ralph and uh, you know the video of the grandpa unmasking Claude. Yeah. Actually. And this was the final, like, the nail that seals the proverbial coffin for Alcoa, because now everybody
0: does believe mm-hmm. that
1: there's something co- copying people and killing little
0: kids. They're seeing two and- people in the same place, just like they saw with Terry, and they have the the craziest thing is that they have Claude with them. So yeah. I that yeah that being the nail in the coffin for Ralph was pretty exciting. Yes. Yeah, because it was finally, like, um, kind of indication for Tina <laughs> in
1: particular because she has, been, she has been fighting him the whole time. Like, how can you not believe this? How can you not kind of see what's going on? Like, you need to open your eyes. And she wasn't even in most of that episode or in any of that episode. No, she was in a little bit at the beginning. But, yeah. Uh, um just so the fact that you feel vindication for her by him finally realizing that this thing is real, I felt more vindication for her than, like, Holly. Because Holly, like, I, didn't, I wasn't really second-guessing Holly because we talked about how uh, meticulous she is in her investigations. Mm-hmm. And if she's going to talk, speak to people about something that is very out there and otherworldly, she has to believe in herself, and you could tell that she fully
0: believed in her findings, right? And Jeannie had just kind of had belief behind her, yeah. And so for
1: Ralph to finally be to be on the same page as his wife, who's been fighting him about this whole time, that was my favorite part of the penultimate episode.
0: Yeah. I think one of the other things, sorry, I'm just over here coughing and trying not to sniffle. Um, I think one of the one of my favorite things about reading the book or listening to the book and kind of knowing how most Stephen King films and books end is either a group of people who really really know each other very well or a group of people who wouldn't be caught dead together teaming up to you know take this demon spirit back to hell or you know like yeah. an it and pet cemetery and things like that it's just kind of people just being like the only way that we're going to get back to normal and feel safe again is if everybody no matter if you believe or don't like each other or you've got different politics or different lives. Let's all band together and take this thing down. <clears throat> sometimes hold up. <coughs> I'm sorry. I have the flu. Sorry. I'm better. <coughs> Bear with me. Anyway, sometimes when, you know, these things kind of play out, you're like, uh, that wasn't really worth it for me. Like, The It movies are good, but then they're kind of, you're just like, why are we doing this at a certain point? But with this, I really did feel like these characters are coming, feeding off of each other very, very well, playing together very, very well, even if they don't like each other and they have nothing in common. I really liked Claude's brother. I thought he was great. He's just like smoking pot in front of them, going to get them chicken and they yeah. you know these moments when these guys are either on their way to something or waiting to get to the thing it's a really great moment for like storytelling or, amongst characters and we you kind of uh, touched on a little bit about the uh or no sorry um but the boys in the caves and when um oh yeah yeah which was let's go back to book stuff one of my favorite parts of listening to the book was the story, which I think maybe people felt in the show was a little misplaced and, like, why are we seeing this and what is this flashback for? But in the book... That's my, that's my feeling. Yeah, but in, in the book, and I, the reason why I was really into it is because the way that they describe these caves and these structures is so, you know, just like a, a majestic natural force on Earth and just... Caves are fucking cool. Let's all just admit that caves are really awesome. And to think about you're going back down into a part of earth that people don't go into that maybe nobody's been in there since there were saber toothed tigers and giant bears and cave people or something. But the way that they talked about the two boys who uh, were stuck there. And the parents going to look for them, the friends of the parents, the community going to look for them, all of them getting trapped in there. And they n- did not die from the um, the cave falling in on them and collapsing in on them. They died from starvation. And this was like a very long process of trying to get them out days and days of listening to these people calling out in these caves to be rescued. And then the voices get softer and softer and then they're silent. And you know that everybody died in there. It is so fucking spooky. And that is why El Cuco is like, Ooh, what a beautiful space for me. (laughs) You know, he's like, Oh, I love this. I'm going to buy this house. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you know, Claude's brother goes
1: out of his way to mention that that's the biggest Bolton grave in, yeah. in the town. Yeah, everyone.
0: that's because fucked up. Of those people were, were the Bolton family. So mm-hmm. if El Cugo's feeding off of the pain of the Bolton family, it's a huge tragedy. What yeah, a place, what better of a place to hide out? Mm hmm. He's becoming a Bolton, and so he's feeding off of that family's grief yeah. and anger and just. Yeah, all of that negativity. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I I mean, I wasn't I don't I mean I hope I wasn't spoiling the book for you, but you know, knowing how the book ended, which is a lot pretty much exactly like how the show ended, were you how did you feel about the confrontation between Ralph and Holly and El Cuco in the cave? Oh you know I mean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you were just like, oh, <laughs> okay, I was like, oh, this is going to be a good reaction, sorry. It was, it was a fulfilling
1: um, confrontation, and I really liked how um, Ralph tried to get rid of Claude and Holly mm-hmm. the, when El Cougar was kind of finally down, but he <laughs> knew in the back of his head that the thing was playing dead. And I love how he's just circling him. He's like, I see you. Look at you playing possum. Look at you playing dead. You think that everybody's just going to walk out of here and leave you here. And he picks up a big-ass rock and just fucking smashes his head in. Yeah. Like, that was was really, really great. And, I mean, again, I didn't finish the book, so uh, I think you and I talked about the ending of the book
0: a couple times. Yeah. The confrontation in the book was, yeah, it was, it was very similar. Um, I feel like because you're reading or listening to the book, you, you know, I also was listening to this, like before I would go to bed, just like laying in bed in the dark with the dogs, smoking weed, waiting to fall asleep. Um, that really helped. Um, walking home at night, <laughs> like you know, made the book very scary for me. And, but one of the things um, that was really cool about that, about that scene was it wasn't so much, I don't think they could really see Claude, they could hear him like echoing and stuff, but it wasn't quite the like, well, 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 partner, you just showed up. Like it was very like, you know, I don't, it was it, like cavalier and almost kind of casual in their. was like more and more ominous. Like his physical form of
1: of,
0: Alkuban was not as like seen by the two characters as it was shown in the show. Yes, it was more mysterious. There was growling sounds. They were looking at the shadow portrayed of him on the wall, Um, and they were asking him, you know, much more in depth questions than they kind of got to, Um, and I. I think if anything, and from what I've heard from some friends and my mom and some coworkers and people who I know who've like watched the show is they were just kind of like, yeah, I guess they did confront him and okay. Yeah. That's, that's how the show ends. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think that this wasn't quite a finale in the way that we were used to as much as it was kind of like the penultimate and the finale could have been like their own, like two and a half hour episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if they had expanded that a little bit more, it
1: would have been way better. And if, it had, if there had been a little bit more suspense to the cave scene, mm-hmm. like, I would have loved a more drawn-out, like, conversation with El where it was focused entirely on his, like, a large, looming shadow in the cave, and then the, the shadow, like, shifted inside. Yeah. Or it would just, like, move to different portions of
0: the cave without making noise. Mm-hmm. What? what I didn't
1: like about that backstory in the second, in, in the penultimate. Mm-hmm. I felt like there could have been, we could have been better served with that happening
0: if we had one more episode. If they had done, or even, no, one to ten would have been too many. Yeah.
1: No, not even one less. Ramp that shit up. up Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Get it. it, Get the tension going. Allude to things that may or may not happen in the finale. Like get like trick us, make us think something's going to happen. But I, yeah, I I kind of feel like this again, this is a Stephen King novel and it is just kind of how we make the world right again. It's not like burning down the iron throne or, you know, like, characters dying and you know big little lies they all kind of go in and you know like turn themselves in or something you know Watchmen uh she becomes Dr. Manhattan like all of these you know all of these things and and in the Stephen King kind of way it is just like well we band together and the eight of us know something that the rest of the world is going to know but nobody knows it like us You know and nobody those moments will stay with these people who survived will stay with these people for the rest of their lives and probably especially for ralph like really dictate how he approaches his next case and cases after that you know what holly is going to do next you know being a pi and you know it's 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 gonna it you know i think the most important thing that we got out of all of this and going back to Jason Bateman and the first two episodes that we love so much is that they did what they were supposed to do, which is exonerate Terry so that glory and her daughters who we've seen struggle the way that in real life, when things happen like this, you know, anybody associated with a man accused of murder, or anybody accused of a crime is immediately, you know, banished from the town and treated really poorly. So to see them, even though the the blowout with el cuco wasn't incredibly exciting you know we still came what we came and did what we wanted to do and what we meant to do which was solve this and figure this out it it seemed like the the more exciting portion of that was like the shootout out front of the game oh the shootout was tight yeah like that was great and
1: you know, there, if there's one underutilized character, it was
0: Holly's little boyfriend, mm-hmm. whom they didn't make an important enough character out of him for me to remember his name, but I know he played a huge role in House of Cards. Yeah. Andy. Yes. Andy. Oh yeah, he was on multiple seasons of House of Cards, and he's a really you know good actor and a well-known actor, so yeah. you and I were trying to come up with the theory that there was something to Andy. We were like, I don't know who who is he like, maybe he's not who he says he is. And why did he just show up when Holly was right there? It turns out just to love her and just to be with her, to give her high stakes, you know, and maybe make her realize something other than the fact that she's really a different kind of person and good at her job we already knew that about holly when we met her you know we already knew that this was going to be the person who got us the answers but she kind of had an existential character moment when she realized like she can fall in love and somebody can love her back and just want to be there just to be with her not to solve a crime just to be with her you know that's sweet it's sweet mm-hmm. it's unnecessary for the plot overall Agree.
1: I agree. <laughs> for her as a character. Mhm. Like, it, like, don't. I it, it felt like there was something that should have happened with him. Yeah. Not like, like he was just put there to die and make her realize that she can be loved, which I do. I love the idea of that. Mhm. But like, at the point in the show that it came, like you know, when we're getting into episode three, we're getting our introduction into Holly. Um, so before she hits the road and you know starts doing the investigation. That's when he shows up, and he was only you know, he showed up a few times, and then he was so heavily heavily utilized in the last two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to have to him being the result of Howie Solomon dying, um, or the reason Howie Solomon yeah, because Howie Howie went to get him out of the car. Ran up to the side of the car, and that's when Jack strapped the car, and the car blew like, up. Yeah, 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 yes, right. yeah. So I'm just piecing it back together, in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like, and then it causes Holly to like walk out into the gunfire, and she's right in Jack's
0: crosshairs. And why didn't Jack just shoot her? Well, because because we need her. <laughs> what? Well, what yeah, but no, I I agree. Like. like Let's play real quick. Let's play if we wrote this (laughs) the segment we like to call if we wrote this show. Um, If we wrote this show, what I would have really liked is maybe that his body didn't burn in the car. And then we, you know, they go through his wallet. Like Yoon is out there with his broken arm, just like killing time while they're in the cave. And then he just goes, I'm going to start going through their wallet and like go through the body to see if he had anything on him. Find out that he is not who he says he is. Interesting. But no, that's okay. I mean, he was just there as a symbol that, you know, this character that Hall... I think he... I think that Stephen King thinks that we can't handle a really out there type of character like Holly without acknowledging that she is the type of person that someone would be attracted to and want to be around. You know? Yeah, I can do that. I... That's kind of what I was getting from it, but again, we we digress. Is there anything you want to talk about before we discuss the post credit and basically how the show ends? Uh, No, I think we think we about enough on this one. All right, sweet. Okay, well, let's talk about the post credit scene because apparently every television show is now a Marvel movie, and we can't just stop when the credits come up. God, that is kind of annoying to me. I mean, I'm not trying to like complain or whatever, but I I just want TV shows just to end when the credits come up. Um, HBO did announce this as a new series for HBO. They did not announce it as a limited series. And in the post-credit scenes, we see Holly has arrived back home. Um, She's around her apartment. She's a little shaken and naturally, of course, stirred by everything that's gone on in the past, you know, month or whatever. Um, She thinks she feels something on her neck. She grabs a mirror, a hand mirror that she just so happens to have because she's obviously been checking. And she looks at the back of her neck to make sure that she doesn't have the burn like Jack had. Um, And we're like, oh, thank God. Okay, good. Like, it's totally normal that she would be seeing like a – apparition of that of, of Jack or like, you know, seeing him in her thoughts, that's totally normal. You know, like he killed her boyfriend, he killed all these people. And then something that I did not catch the first time I had to go back and watch again, but she gets on her laptop and she's listening to the radio and it just kind of closes out on her and she's twirling her hair. And as we see her twirling her hair, the front of her wrist has the scratch. Which is the same scratch that Terry and Claude had. That would lead one to believe that she is going to turn into El Cuco. That's I'm. That's what I'm just saying. Facts. What do? You, what is your opinion? I hate that. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. Um, and when it was when it
1: was announced for HBO, it was touted as a limited series, wasn't it?
0: Yes, no. It was a new original series for HBO. I feel like the word limited is missing from that sentence. Yes, um, you are so right about that. I was was thinking of it the whole time that we were watching it as a limited series. Me too.
1: And and I don't like the fact that if you're going to do so well, You're going to take a limited series, you're going to do amazing with it, you're going to get amazing talent behind it, Um, amazing directors, amazing writers, amazing producers, and to just, like, try
0: to, like, milk it, is not going to produce a good season two. No, it is not. It's like, like you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Like, Mm -hmm. if your your new claim to fame is going to be limited series, then embrace it. Yeah. And... Listen, all of these things that we're coming out with—if it says limited series, it's a limited series. Yeah. It's going to be push it. If you want to push it,
1: push to ten episodes. Don't just do eight. Mm-hmm. Make it a little bit longer, but don't make it into a multi-season thing because you're just going to be chopping the shark later on down the line.
0: Mm-hmm. Where that is very true. We're looking at a season, yeah. We're looking at season two, and we're
1: just like, dude, this is nothing. To shit, and they don't get people
0: like Ben Mendelsohn or Cynthia mm-hmm. Like, Don't do it. Just don't do it. Do it the first time. Yeah. Call it a day. Fool me once, big little lies. Fool me twice, Watchmen. Yeah. Fool me three times, <laughs> outsider. Yeah. HBO yeah. keeps kind of doing this. And I, I completely agree with what you're saying about a limited series because I think television viewers like us, When you say limited series to us, that means that we are fully prepared to see every character as they may or may not be here. I am prepared for anything. I'm prepared to say goodbye to these characters at any given time during the show, if that's what the show is about. Um, I am going to see these characters go through the complete arc and do every single thing that they are supposed to do. And that this will conclude in a tidy and wrapped up, very nice in a box. Look at this. This was a 10 hour movie. This was a limited series. Perfect. There are so many good HBO limited series. And I mean, Mildred Pierce, Olive Kittredge, Grey Gardens. I mean, like there are so, so many. And I just see them as like a a long movie, like an eight hour movie or something. So what I feel, and this is, I don't have any real facts um, to back this up, but what I feel like is at the start of the streaming wars, I think um, Hulu, Disney Plus, Netflix, whatever we're going to get from the Peacock, they have, oh, Apple TV have a lot of brand new series servant the morning show you know like there are so so many brand new series starting up that maybe hbo just was like well we have all these we have a powerhouse of amazing actors and amazing writers and showrunners but we're never gonna get them again for a season two big little lies did it but that's just because these women loved these roles. They got to be executive producers, make a buttload of money, act their asses off, and they were like, "Fuck yeah, season two, we'll make it work." Yeah. Was Big Little Eyes yeah. season two worth it? I guess, sure, yeah. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. I could have gone without it and still loved season one, as just an yeah. and again approach to us as a limited series. Then you know, I I just How think that. Yeah, and we were talking the other night about what it would take for HBO to come out with a new flagship show like Game of Thrones or Westworld. It wouldn't be every single fucking character is an A-list celebrity, an A-list actor. It would not be that. It would be like, give me three A-lists, like a Nicole Kidman or a Ben Mendelsohn, you know, a Reese Witherspoon or what have you. And then we're going to need a bunch of no-name actors or brand new actors or actors that have been in everything and now are just getting their first role a la game of Thrones, something based off of a book that we know cannot be contained in a series that small. So I think, you know, as amazing as as these shows are, I do think you and I and other television viewers, we're going to get a little weary of shows being announced and then, as we're watching them going, you're giving us everything. Like, the same thing with Watchmen. You're giving us everything. How is there any way that there's going to be a season two of this? And, and Watchmen was not, was not touted
1: as limited series. Watchmen was one that was part of the new series for HBO.
0: Yes. And... and they, they, didn't, they never said it was only going to last one season. They were always like, new series, new series. Uh-huh. Uh, Watchmen starting on HBO... And then with with
1: the outsider when it was first announced, it said limited series. Right. And it's like so every time they're gonna they're gonna give us a new show, they're not gonna say limited series, and then there's gonna
0: be one season. And then every time they give us a limited series, they're gonna be like, Ooh, fake out. Yeah. Extra post credit scenes. Oh, we're gonna start season two. Season yeah. Two, blah, blah,
1: blah. Like, no,
0: yeah. Fuck yourselves. Like you guys are great. I love I love you, and I will not stop watching. of course not we're here every sunday at your beck and call yeah well also to um i don't know if i told you this i might have seen it on google when i was drinking and not remembered to tell you but damon lindelof officially said no more watchmen he literally said i have no more ideas people (laughs) i will yes i will i think you sent me the link to it okay oh good 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 okay good I was like how could I not share this with you um, but yeah I, I think just going forward next time a series that is not you know adapted from a novel or adapted from something where they're like we've got three to five seasons of this shit in the bag we're ready to go until then tread lightly HBO because it kind of affects the walk, the viewing experience of it Yeah, it yeah, does it point. does. Like, yes. Like, but I uh, mean when you're, when you're adopting a book that's only a, is one book. Like yeah. Game of Thrones was, you know, X amount of books. Yeah. But the only thing that that would make sense that they could carry over and mm-hmm. it should not be called The Outsider is like the amazing adventures of Holly Gibney because she crosses over into so many different uh, Stephen King novels. Yes. Well that's the only thing that would make sense. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are running out of time, but Evan, thank you so much for talking about Outsider. And it was an amazing show. We had a really good time watching it. I really enjoyed listening to it. And sorry about all my coughing and sneezing. (laughs) We love you and we will talk to you guys and bring you new episodes.